Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, an SMMT Test Day Special Edition. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. Alan, tell me, what is an SMMT Test Day Special Edition? Well, it's a special edition that's all about the SMMT Test Day, which is an annual event held annually at Millbrook. Who by? (laughs) Yes, by the SMMT. I was getting there at at Millbrook, who are? who are the Society of Motor Manufacturers and Traders, which is the sort of trade organisation for automotive here in the UK. So, what happens at it then? So that's what we're going to share with you, ladies and gentlemen, in a super cheap. Well, no, not in a super cheesy way. Only for the next twenty seconds. And this was the fortieth. Yeah. And well, it was a nice one for my first one. <laughs> Well, it was, of course, because it was your first. And, and that was, it was he's, he has popped his SMMT Test Day Cherry, which is really good for me because what the rest of you don't necessarily realise is the, the sort of banter and run-up that I've been getting for the last... This was, my, was this my fourth or my third? Fourth, I think. Forgotten. This was my fourth, I think. So the last three, you don't understand the banter of, here's what you should do and all the other stuff that I've been told, which I've generally said... Andrew, no. Well, you did after the first one. Because after the first one, I learned. <laughs> after the first one, I learned that you just can't play it because uh, really what happens is there's, there are many of the, the UK's motor manufacturers, and I don't mean the ones that only manufacture in the UK, I mean people that, that, that's, that brands, brands, that's what they want, there uh, with their PR people, with a, a, a small selection of vehicles each, which you can go out and, and take a test drive of, and we'll, we'll talk about that a bit more in a minute. Previously, I found that I spent a lot of my day trying to balance talking to people, meeting new people so we can bring you new funky content, and actually driving stuff. And I've discovered that you can't do too much of one without it. Well, you can do lots of driving, but then you sort of are one of these people that turns up and goes, can I try your three series, please? Uh, And then sort of, they'll sort of reluctantly hand you the, you, somebody they don't know, the key, and then they'll get it back. You go, thank you very much. And then wander off, uh, and then you'll you'll post a YouTube video of it later on. Yeah, but also, I mean, but okay, right? You're you, you're taking the Mickey a little bit there. I am. The, well, everybody, I think, who listens to us appreciates this. This isn't our full time job, so the opportunities for us to meet the PR people are limited. More so, usually for me than you, because you can actually get out of your house and leave, go further than a two mile radius from the front door, <laughs> and being dragged back. It's actually really useful for us because it allows us to meet some people who we've only communicated with via a phone or email, Yeah, see people who we have met, and actually introduce ourselves in the podcast to other people and say, you know, this is what we do. These are our, list- these are our typical listeners. This is what we try and do for them, et cetera, et cetera. Now can I try a car? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes, well, sometimes they say, please try a car. Yeah, it's a so it's it's a great meeting, and we also get a chance to 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 bump into and meet meet other people that we may only have come across online or, or met very briefly uh, as, as yes. something else, and have a chat with with other other content creators. Yeah, well, they're nice people though, so don't say it like that. <laughs> I know I shouldn't say it like that. I'm really sorry. That was that was that was me trying to find a generic term for journalists, writers. Video. Video, YouTubists. Just generic term for everyone like that. So it's content. It's all content. This is content. We are content creators, Andrew. Yes. And you didn't say it in a stupid accent, so it doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> yes. Didn't use the I word. Mm. Oh. 
anyway, because this was the 40th, let's move on. Because this was the 40th, then uh, as part of it, the, the chairman of S70, uh, who currently Mike Hawes, always gives a, a bit of an address about the sort of state of the nation uh, as regards vehicle registrations, which is classed as sales, vehicle manufacturing, and all these kind of cool, funky, funky numbers that, that we talk about. Uh, and of course, he, he gave that this year. Now, there was a certain focus to it. I'm sure that you can guess what, what that was as regards uh, significant political events in the UK right at the moment. But there was also quite interesting because this year he looked back specifically on some of the stuff from, from the last 40 years and comparing, I was going to say this year, not this year, 2018 to 1979, the first year that they that, that they ran this event. And they gave us an extra little bonus booklet. There was also a heritage display of some awesome cars, which I never quite got as far as... It was a bit removed from everything else. You had to make a special trip to go see it, which is a shame because there was some cool cool stuff there yes but loads of other people since the event loads of other people have been sharing have been sharing lots of pictures of those things like bmw m1 i can't think what else now bx so bmw i8 was there citroen bx lotus carlton nissan skyline nsx is blah 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 it goes on 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 on, on. audi 100 there was an audi 100 there was a quattro green two. some of them were available to drive and others weren't which one's green the Sorry. audi 100 was green oh the audi 100 was green i always think those should be a sort of dark sort of slightly graphitey gray because that's the color of the one I headmaster at perhaps it just seemed <laughs> really cool and it had the, this coefficient of drag in the gla- in the flush glass on the doors. Yep. 0.32, wasn't it? Someone will correct me on that now. Rich Gooding, we're calling on you. <laughs> yes, seal <you'll> now. <laughs> Shall we give people a chance to queue up the sign the swinging symbol? As a special extra treat for our listeners, there is a bonus historical top 10. Historical top 10. So top 10 for 1970, 1970. Well, do you want me to go through 2018, just for comparison? Okay, do 2018 first, because we're going to keep teasing. Yeah, that's what it is. This is an intentional tease, and not someone who hasn't quite thought this through. So for 2018, just a quick reminder, number 10, the Kia Sportage, with 35,567 registrations. Number 9, the Ford Cougar, at 40,400-ish. Number 8, the Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Number 7, the Mini. And number 6, the Volkswagen Polo. Number five, the Ford Focus. Number four, the Nissan Qashqai. And number three, the Vauxhall Corsa. This point, number three, has 52,915 registrations. Number two, the Volkswagen Golf with 64,829. And number one, the Ford Fiesta with 95,892. So remember those numbers. Almost 53,000, almost 65,000, and almost 96,000 as the top three. Mm-hmm. All in all, in 2018, there were 2,367,147 cars registered. In 1979, there were 1,716,275 cars registered. So, what's that? Half a million less. Also, uh, a bit more than that. 600,000 less. So, the top 10 goes Vauxhall Chevette. 44,197. So that is somewhere just below number seven as far as as volume these days. The Vauxhall Cavalier with 46,517. The Ford Capri with 49,147. The car with the biggest ashtray in the world ever. 
So it's number eight. That would take it in as number six now, by the way. The Ford Granada, 52,089. The Ford Fiesta, 58,089. So that's about just, well, it's a little over half, about 60% of what's registered in 2018. Number five, the Austin Allegro, 59,985, which would make it the third most registered car in 2018. The Morris Marina is number four, with 62,140. The Austin Morris Mini is 82,938, which would put it in as number two now. In at number two is the Ford Escort, with 131,667. So that's what? That's getting on for like 9% of all new cars registered were the Ford Escort. One model from one manufacturer. But that's only number two, because number one in 1979 was the Ford Cortina with 193,784 vehicles registered. It's not that much less than the top three added together in 2018, <laughs> as the Fiesta Golf and Corsa added together. So 600,000 fewer vehicles, but there was much less choice. 1979, 250 car models on sale. And now it's deemed that there are 370. Fuel's five times the price. There's over twice as many vehicles on the road. I love the alternative fuel vehicle sales. Did you see this? No. 2018, 141,270. 1979, four. <laughs> four electric cars were registered in 1979. So it was really interesting to, to sort of try and compare back and forth. And, and there's, there's, there's some fun fun stats on that for those of us that like that kind of thing, which means me. <laughs> Should we move on to the day and actually the, the cars? Yeah. It's worth mentioning that I think pretty much every vehicle we took the same route. I know I added to, to it with at least one, uh, possibly two of them. Uh, Milbert offered to us on the day is the hill route, the high-speed ball, which is a two-mile circumference circle, basically. You are literally driving in circles. And there is a city route and there is also a road route as well. Uh, now, we didn't take any of them on the road route because the road route takes quite a lot of time. And we were trying to do as much as we could in as little time as possible, which is pretty much the, the theme of, of motoring podcast, really, isn't it? <laughs> yes. We probably drove no more than 10, possibly possibly 15 at a stretch. But I can't really think if we did go that far miles in any of the vehicles we're about to discuss. Yeah, we were not in them long. There is one vehicle that we tag teamed. So you drove it and then I drove it. Yeah. Which is the only one that was like that. And most of them, one of us drove and the other one passengered and poked at stuff, really. Yeah. We weren't in these for very long. We cannot pretend that this is the each of these is the equivalent of a full normal review. Goodness sakes, we're not professional journalists. <laughs> uh <laughs> I know we're going to have to work harder to make 5,000 to 10,000 words out of 15 minutes in the car. <laughs> I don't, yeah, well, I don't know. Yes, I could channel the spirit of some of them, I suppose. <laughs> so what do we start out with then? The poor first vehicle of the day is always tricky because you want something that's going to remind yourself of what the layout is and where everything is and what the route is like. And also on this case, it was a case of trying to choose something which meant I could show Andrew as much as possible 
as I acted as tour guide. And I'm, it's a wonder you didn't slap me after a while, to be honest. The first vehicle we took out was the Alexis UX 250H F Sport. At this point, Andrew goes, so then, Alan, what's Alexis 250, UX 250H F Sport? But he's being very good. It is a compact SUV. Yes. Bigger than B. Premium. Possibly small than C. But very much premium yep. in there. It is, after all, a Lexus. So there's another one of these I'm going to talk about, but it's a very, very compact, slightly tall luxury vehicle. Yep. And I think it's a breed that we're going to see more of. I think it is the growing sector or niche yeah. sector. Definitely. I have a theory why that's the case. Okay. What's that then? Well, it's because all the baby boomers can get in and out of them. They're all getting to the age where they don't need a big car anymore. But at the same time, they don't want to sacrifice any of the toys that they've got used to in their, hypothetically, their 5 Series, their A6s and all these kind of things. But they just don't need that scale anymore. Mm-hmm. And they also want to you know, get their arthritic hips in and out. So a high seating and hit point is, is a good place for them. So you get all the toys of luxury cars in a much smaller package that's easier to park in town. And in this case, is is a hybrid as well. Yep. The 250H has a two-liter four-cylinder petrol engine mated to the normal Toyota hybrid setup of an epicyclic gearbox and electric motor uh, and some bits and pieces. You can get it in four-wheel drive, but most models are really going to be two-wheel drive. The one we drove the S-Sport, the mid-level trim. It comes in at £33,905 on the road. Uh, the range starts at 29905 for the S and rises to £39,105 for Takumi Spec, which is a bit less sporty than the F-Sport, but has all the toys mm. in there. On these, there aren't really any options that you can spec on on. On, well, most Lexus, to be honest, you, you kind of buy the spec yeah. and you choose your colour and that's kind of it. All a hybrid, by the way. You can't buy a UX that isn't a hybrid. When you're in the cabin, it does. It feels like a Lexus. There is the, the instrument cowl, the steering wheel, the, the just general layout feels a lot like the the LC500 with its 5-litre <laughs> V8 that I, that I drove last summer. You know, you've got the same dynamic dashboard where the sort of physical and digital elements moving and playing together you've got that lexusiness but in something that's really quite quite small you're not going to buy it if you carry if if you carry people in the rear a lot you're going to buy an nx or you should be buying an nx unless you don't like the people who you're carrying around unless you've got a small family yeah and it would have to be small small in the physical sense because I, I was i was thinking about that you're talking one or two maximum young children yeah in the back but you might want something more lifestyle if that's okay i don't want to say it's not lifestyle that's quite bad but no but it, it may also depend if what's on your company car list as well yes that's true it's ample room for a small family is what i'm trying to say yeah in my mind it replaces the lexus ct which has been around since oh i don't know a tyrannosaurus rex around <laughs> the earth i think it's been, been out some nine years or something it's not that much of an exaggeration really i could see it selling more sure the ct is about four grand cheaper but, oh, yeah, it's going to sell Be- much. Because that is such a popular, you know, everyone's coming out with a, a compact, I was going to say small, compact SUV now. Yes. The thing is that for that F-Sport that we tried, if you put down nine grand, then it's £299 a month over 42 months. I've no idea what the blue payment is and stuff. And that's for, a, a, I think it's eight to 10000 a year. That's a very low, a low monthly. 
Yeah, and I don't see that something like CT is going to be is going to be much cheaper. So, well, it's a way more modern vehicle. I mean, it's based on the latest new global architecture from Toyota and Lexus. So, it, it's it's the latest kit. Mm. What was nice about it was the the powertrain. It really wasn't. I want to say it wasn't hybridy whilst being a hybrid at the same time. It was completely invisible. Yeah, it didn't scream. I'm being all electric now. Look at me. Oh, now mm. I might go a bit hybridy. Oh, you can have the engine. It didn't do that. Right. It just you just drove along. There wasn't an announcement. I'm changing mode. It just did it. No, no, no. It, it was just like it was okay. You want to move away? Well, move away, and it's quite electric. And then when it needed the engine, I guess the engine kicked in. But I didn't really notice it. You're very well insulated in the cabin. Yeah, from the powertrain noise, which is what you want. Fuss yeah. free. Yeah, totally yeah. fuss free. It's the new luxury, you know. Yes. I expected to like it. It was one of the cars that I really wanted to try because I'm I'm trying to persuade one of my colleagues to buy one because I don't mind buying the German brand that he was going to buy that was that was going to be a terrible stereotype. So I'm trying to persuade him actually into something different. That was the one I was targeting. So I, I wanted to try it just so I could make sure I, I wasn't sort of selling him a <laughs> selling him a dud or anything. And I I, I wasn't. So so that was the very first car of the day. It was one of the ones that I'd kind of had my eye on as a, oh, if I can drive that, I'll drive that. Yeah. And we didn't go in with any kind of plan of cars, really, by the way, because it depends what's available and who's around. Yeah. We basically drove what was available when we turned up or when we'd finished chatting to someone. Mm-hmm. And they'd said, oh, why don't you take this for a drive? That's how we did it. Yep. Next up, Andrew. Well, next up was the brand new Toyota Corolla in XL 2-litre hybrid touring sports mode. We haven't made a typo there. It is actually called Touring Sports so new and interesting way of describing an estate car. Yes. Well, new anyway. That was reasonably estatey looking as well, not extended hatch. Forty statey. Yeah. So this is the first time I've seen one of the new Corollas up close. Actually, mm-hmm. it's quite handsome. I mean, it looks particularly nice in estate or touring. Sorry, guys. I saw one of the hatches in Italy last week, by the way, and it was it was Excel spec. I think it was the same drivetrain stuff and it was low big wheels factory wheels not aftermarket and it was metallic bronze with a black roof Ooh. and it looked fantastic that sounds quite nice in the in the bright italian sunshine yeah it just looked great it was it looked really good i'd always i'd admired it before but just that one that caught my eye mm. well so of course the corolla name has come back and that's replacing the auris the uk built in the Derbyshire plant, isn't it? Yeah, Burnson. Yeah, just south of Derby. Yeah. The one we managed to snaffle keys for, the XL, that's the highest spec. It's got design below that. And the 2-litre hybrid is the most powerful version, but it's also the most expensive. Uh, so it came in, mm-hmm. the one that we tried was £30,345. Yep. Which actually is the same, if I'm correct, the same drivetrain as the UX we tried. Yes, yes. It's the same drivetrain. I think this one of them has something like two metric horses, more or less, but it's the same thing. Touring sports, you can actually get hold of to start off the range with a 1.2 litre petrol in Icon, and that starts at £22,575. But I would imagine the hybrid is probably going to be the most popular. Yeah, what's interesting is there's two different hybrid versions. Yeah. There's the two litre hybrid that we tried, which is the sports hybrid. Again, in this case, the, the tuning was slightly different. So whilst it was essentially the same physical stuff as the UX, the tuning was slightly different to make it a bit more 
to an extent, synthesize gear shifts if you wanted on the flappy paddles to keep a few more revs and to let revs rise like like we're used to with a, a pure internal combustion engine. For the, the two liter, the one liter is, and these are my words, not only from Toyota, they, it is essentially the taxi hybrid, which is a little bit more eco, but it's not, not got the same go. The 1.8 hybrid. As the, the two liter. The 1.8, is that what I, oh, that's what I meant to say. I'm sorry, the 1.8 hybrid is the taxi one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the one for the more uh, economical, more economical mode, more replicate. I don't want to say more replicating a diesel, but it's it's for that type of more for that type of driver. It's the one for the role for which we most readily associate Toyota hybrids. How does that sound? Yes, there, that's good. I like that one. I'm still going to get a phone call, but I like that one. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I don't have a phone with me tomorrow. It's great. Yeah, this is quite different look to the Auris and I think feel inside mm-hmm. everything seems to have been upgraded because Toyota's now got this new there's no more boring Toyotas haven't they that's sort of a yeah a mantra now from on high which is lovely to see that's where your your grim has come from isn't it that's, that's all part yeah, of that yeah. now it's being cascaded out to the rest of the range it actually felt quite premium inside. Yeah. I thought it's been a while since I've been in a Toyota. Not all of us are like you, Alan. No, I don't mean your own car either. I don't mean your own car. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of went in with fresh eyes and, you know, an, an open heart and open mind. Well, <laughs> I'm going I'm to this one yeah. because I, I didn't really have that, many, that much expectation. You know, I didn't have any mm-hmm. preconceived ideas of what, it should be so i was quietly impressed actually i mean it wasn't Mm -hmm. overtly sporty and i would like to have obviously much longer with the car driving it on roads i knew to get more of a feel for it and and that's a huge drawback of this day yeah 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 that that is a that is a a problem with the day is that it's not a long route and there are other people on there so maybe you don't always get the run you hope for plus there is a speed limit Mm. of a certain amount which is Generous in places and not so in others, but I think the idea is so that everyone stays on the road, so that's understandable. Well, yeah, you know, you don't want to be that guy. Yeah, you you are not exploring the dynamic extremes of the vehicles you're in. Thankfully, now that depends what you're driving. Yeah, there was the Citroen Mahari. <laughs> yeah, but I think that was more exploring the engineering extremes of that rather than the dynamics. This is true, but it's nice whenever you get a car like this where you don't really have an opinion on it. And you you learn something about it, and you think, oh, oh, actually, mm, the, there was plenty of space in the back, plenty of space in the boot, as you would you would hope. But I mean, how many mm-hmm. slightly sporty states have we seen that you go, actually, you've just made a large hatchback? But this wasn't that. Yeah, like I say, it, it would be interesting to try that for longer in a more using it daily type manner to really get under the skin of it in a true do the kids actually fit in this type of setup yeah all, all that sort of stuff you know how how is it just driving around town how much of the hybridness is it you know the evness of the hybrid is it doing and all that sort of stuff be it would, it would be mm-hmm. an interesting experiment good news mate we got through that without using the term self-charging oh, you had to do it didn't you a self-harming <laughs> yeah self-harming statement Never mind a self-charging hybrid. It's a self-harming podcast presenter. <laughs> right, so so we moved on then to something quite similar, 
And by quite similar, I mean not similar at all. Well, it is a hatchback that has been extended, <laughs> give or take. And has no hybrid drivetrain. <laughs> has no hybrid drive at all. We wandered across the street to Hyundai uh, to catch up with some folk, and we tried the Hyundai i30 Fastback N. Which was such a trial. So this is, of course, the Fastback version of the i30N that we've both driven extensively no 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 not extensively enough not extensive oh well that's okay because i don't want to spend too long on this one because i'm going to spend a little bit longer with one of these yes uh, before very long anyway hashtag tease hashtag tease yes uh, what was very unusual about this of course is the fact that it was a press car with no options at all Twenty nine thousand nine hundred ninety five pounds on the road. The fastback N. If you remember uh, back, ooh, what a year and a smidge, yeah, year and a half now almost. Then we tried two different i thirty N. One was performance, which Andrew had with two hundred seventy five metric brake, and one was non performance with two hundred fifty. Isn't it? Yep. Well, we found out that two hundred seventy five is obviously better because it's more. Well, we also found out two hundred fifty was also better because it was. A bit softer and we're old farts nowadays <laughs> the fastback ends only available in performance of the 275 metric horses when you're driving it is a lot like an i30n hatch uh, the standard one you'd expect it's you know it's the same interior up until the sort of i guess the back seat backrest it's just got actually a much bigger boot mm. a much bigger usable normal boot than the hatch does and it's a good-looking thing. It is. I thought it's very good-looking. There is an argument to say it's better-looking than the hatch. Yeah, and the red that it was in, I was just I'm trying to find mm. what exactly what red it is. It's probably going to be racing red or something. Yeah, I, I can't. But the red looks particularly good, because the very first one I drove at the launch was, was the same colour. And the performance blue is lovely. That's a pale blue, which is unique to the i30N performance. And I do like it, but I'm not sure I would choose one in it. And I I did like the red as a break from the monochrome. Yeah, yeah, it it suited it very well. And and it's got this gorgeous little little fin on the back. Yes, that little edge on the ducktail spoiler is just great. It just, it's like a little bit of 9-11. It was nice to be reminded of the pop bangs and whizzes. Well, yes, yes, of course, there's the synthetic pop 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 which which is cool my only comment on that is i'd quite like it if there was a pop 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 randomizer in there so it wasn't the same every time i think you just need to change gear at different revs i think it's you really do you think it's me i think well Mm. maybe you could find out maybe you could ask kinda if you could have one for longer and find out alan i shall attempt to do that yes or something like that and report back to us i shall report back before very long i'm sure Next up, we both took a shot at driving this one. Yeah. So this is the Alfa Romeo Stelvio 4 Cheese 2.9 V6 Biturbo Q4 510 horsepower. <laughs> Basically, yes. <laughs> what I love about this is that this fits the description. You know, you know, whenever we, we, we get press cards, normally, we, normally we, we, we don't go for the crazy stuff too often. It's, it's an occasional... Um, it's an occasional indulgence, mostly of ourselves rather than you, the listeners. But yeah, we, we try to stick to an extent of sort of attainable, I don't want to say sensible because that sounds dull, but just reasonable and rational-ish vehicles. Yeah, this is the opposite really, isn't it? It was. It, it absolutely is. £69,510. 
before the £15,740 worth of... Don't worry, there, there are bigger numbers to come to talk about other cars. £15,740 worth of options to give it a total list price as driven of 85,250 quid, including three and a half thousand pounds worth of carbon-backed Sparco bucket seats. <laughs> Which were very comfortable. Oh, they were wonderful. I just don't know how much weight the carbon backing saves you. You can go take a... <laughs> that wasn't the most expensive thing. What, the 5,900 pounds worth of carbon ceramic yes. brake? They were wonderful. Yeah, and I'd, wonderful. I'd happily have wonderful. them. Wonderful. Considering the size and weight of the thing and how much, well, how much velocity the enormous engine. Oh, it's not even that enormous an engine, but it's the noise. It's visceral. It was fantastic. So I, I took it round the hill route and, you know, 55 miles an hour is sort of, you've got to be really careful to, to stay under the 55 miles an hour on there. But just the poise, the lack of roll, the grit, the silliness in the fact that, you know, you're in a two and whatever ton. It must be. I, I don't have the number to hand. Uh, I'm sure it'll be in the spec sheet there. A ton SUV. And it's it's crazy. But, but I did the hill route and then I went to the high-speed bolt and I made sure I stopped coming on to it at the giveaway. And then I just nailed it up to the ton as I joined the bolt. And just the 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 roar and the the snap of it changing gear just brilliant. It for me, it was my it was actually my exhaust note of the day. <laughs> Last year it was the LC five hundred. This year it was this just frankly dumb super SUV. I, I loved it. I mean, they are still a ridiculous thing. Oh yeah, there's there's no rationale for it at all. It is still a ridiculous concept on on paper. And for the vast majority of the creation, is you have this really big SUV and you make it sporty and fast. That's, you know, it flies against everything that most mm. people would countenance. But it was just such an event because, like you say, the noise. And I was blown away by the grip. I was blown away by the grip. Because by the time I went on the hill route, somebody had spread a little bit of gravel because I think they got a bit too cute around the inside of one corner. And it just yeah, it helped. just didn't blink an eye. It's not like I was creeping around the corners either. It had a carbon fibre and Alcantara steering wheel and a start button on the steering wheel, which, as you quite rightly say, is just wonderful. Because that was the first time I think I'd ever used one, after you saying. Yes, because we're children, that makes the car more special. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And special was the word. And it's a glorious colour. And it had curry hook. Sorry, there's, there's my consumer advice. There we go. Not many ways quicker to transport your dinner from the local takeaway or perhaps even a bottle of wine. It's a rigatoni hook, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Genius. Did we mention what it sounded like just there? I, I, forget. Uh, I think maybe you need to mention it again. <laughs> oh, it was just amazing. It was, just, it was one of those times when you, you get in and you start laughing as you're driving it because it's just so dumb. Yeah, it was. it is ridiculous, but it works out to be ridiculous in a very good way. So for a vehicle that's not very pretty and not very rational, we jumped across to the other side and we went for something that is both pretty and rational. Yes. I'm not sure quite how rational the exact version we drove actually is, to be honest. Yeah. Because we drove the Mazda 3 1.8 diesel, 116 
metric horses in GT Sport spec. So GT Sport spec is the highest you can buy one of the diesels in, which is now in manual or auto, and this was manual. There is actually a GT Sport tech, which you can get with the 2-litre petrol, mm. which is 122 brake. It's a lovely car to drive. Well, before we get to the drive, it's the all-new Mazda 3, which seems to have been yes. universally lavished with praise of the looks. I resemble that remark. <laughs> It is a supremely attractive-looking family hatchback. It is, mm-hmm. as we seem to be saying repeatedly, Mazda have their design language absolutely nailed at the minute. It's the anti-slash yes. design language, isn't it? Yes. Less is so much more. I don't know if people noticed somebody was on about it recently, and then I, I tweeted that it's that it's all about, with this new design language, it's all about the reflections rather than creating creases and all these kind of things. It's, and that's exactly what they've done. And the one that we had, it was beautiful sunny day. It was, of course, the Mazda Soul Red, which is a fantastic mm. colour. Mm-hmm. And it just looked stonking, really. It did. It really, really did. So the Mazda 3 range starts from £20,595. The one we tried, so the Sky Active D GT Sport, was £26,395 plus £790 for the sole red paint because there's remember there's like two levels of colour tax you can choose on Mazda's that brought it in at £27,185 and it was leather interior wasn't it it was and what impressed me most was the soft touch on the on the dashboard and how that was it was probably final on the dash not actual leather but it was nice and it looked and it felt quality it's a, a bit like the, you were saying with the Aris before mm. don't forget I've been in a six a new six recently yeah. I was interested to know whether they were going to transfer quality of the interior in as mm-hmm. well and and they have and the interior is a lovely place. The the materials, the finish, the design in particular is just lovely. Mm-hmm. I showed the pictures to my previous generation Mazda 3 driving sister. She has the kind of equivalent spec but the petrol. She was like, "Oh, ooh, I'll take a look at that when I'm looking to change my car." She likes her current one, and she's just like, oh, that's even nicer looking. Mm. I'd love to try the Skyactive X with a compression ignition engine. Okay. That Skyactive D diesel engine was was nice, but I would have quite liked to try a petrol one. I think the Mazda has set up for the move away from diesel that seems to be going on in this mm. country because their petrol engines run really very well on not that much petrol. Well, that's it. I mean, this one, I think the sheet... Have I closed it? No, it's still open. Uh, the sheet here was saying it's uh, lost it. I'm looking for the fuel economy. 50, 56.5 mile per gallons combined. Yeah, whereas you'll be getting almost that with the petrols. Mm. I mean, look how close to 50 I was getting with the 6. That was a petrol, so... Exactly. I think it's going to be very difficult to make a case for buying the diesel rather than the petrol, given the, the prices of fuel and the taxation and all that kind of thing. And that's why I'm curious as to how many people will actually buy that spec. It's not that there's anything wrong with it at all, because there isn't. But I think the petrol's so good, and there's the current environment, mm. but I think the petrol's so good that yes. you would have to have the diesel for a very long time to make up that difference. Absolutely. That's what I'm trying to say, but you're saying better. But I, I was quietly impressed with that. I really was. Yeah, it was nice. So at this point, we split up. Yes, we'd had enough of each other by then. No, I just we just went, oh, actually, we've bumped into all the people that we didn't realise we were going to be able to bump into so so soon. Right, let's let's go now. 
and go and speak because there were certain mm-hmm. people we knew we needed to go and speak to. So we, there was only yeah. so many hours left in the day. Exactly. I went off next and I wandered over to DS because I wanted to try the new DS3 Crossback. It was one of the ones that was on my list because I thought it was a curious vehicle. Not so much that it was a curious vehicle, but it's a vehicle I was curious about. It, it all came in with that C luxury SUV segment that we talked about with the Lexus UX. And this is very much a French take on on the Lexus UX, to be honest. It's the same kind of scale. It's the same kind of pricing. The one I tried was almost £30,995 on the road as its base price. Mm -hmm. And it was a DS3 Crossback Ultra Prestige Pure Tech 130 Auto in Whisper Purple. It was a beautiful colour and also a really good name for it. But in that sunshine, it stood out. It looked great because it was really subtle. It was one of those almost black type colours. Oh, okay. You'd think it was like, oh, is that black or is it dark blue? And then you sort of realised it was a bit more like a really dark aubergine. Really nice colour. Classy and, and rich colour as well. And great paint on it. PSA cars do tend to have pretty good paint. There was... 2000 what was on here that whisper purple paint was 750 pounds on top of the number i've already mentioned ds sensorial drive i i don't know okay don't ask at 250 pounds it had a bitone white roof at 200 pounds which i would skip it had the premium safety pack 850 quid as well and that brought it to £32,805 for a 1.2-litre three-cylinder automatic Kedok. PSA Group car. And you took this on the hill route as well? Yes, okay. took this on the hill route. Well, it felt very French. The thing is about it is that a, a bit like the Lexus, I'm, I'm sorry to keep harking back, but what amazed me that it was possible to find such a direct comparison in that it was tidy, it was neat, it wasn't a car you were going to be... You know, you're not going to be aiming for a Nürburgring lap record in this either. But we know that 1.2 litre triple and, you know, you get it in the 5008 and you get it in many big cars. So it's definitely got enough oomph in there. Mm. The auto box is a eight speed auto, which does have a sport button, which does sporty sounding things. Okay. So it has plenty of go and plenty of oomph if you want to. But as I say... Is that the point of it, though? No, I'd say the point of it from that point of view is the ability to get the Les Boomers from their little place in the in the centre of the town out to their Maison de Famille somewhere in the countryside and spend two hours on the, on the autoroute, going either there or going straight down to the south of France and being able to sit at 83 miles an hour quite happily forever. Mm. And it's perfect for that. It really is being a big car feeling small car. Okay. It's also pretty premium. I mean, they've really gone to town on the diamond thing (laughs) was the key a diamond did you did you have to sit in the diamond shape to be able to it was the pedals in the diamond god (laughs) no but the air vents were the air conditioning controls were and it looked kind of cool in a sort of whoa they've really done it I will confess that usability might have been a small issue with that. I liked it, and I'm sure that if I had more than 15 minutes or 20 minutes of the car, you know, you get used to it. it. It did take me a couple of minutes to actually find the start button because it was this beautiful metal knurled thing at the bottom of the dash and not the on-off button, which I saw in the middle of the dash, which turned the stereo on without the engine on. But I think it's fabulous that car manufacturers have discovered that you can have some fun with an interior. That's kind of what I was about to do to try and caveat all of that, was to say something like that, which is, but it was different, and I liked it because it was different, and it was interesting. That's why I like the whole concept of this. I don't know if it's... Is it a good car? It's 
decent car, but is it an interesting car then? Definitely. In that sector, though, for what it's going to do, considering it's not going to go off-road, it's going to be mainly urban with some stretching of legs, and it needs to carry two, maybe three people around in comfort. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's pretty cracking for that. I liked it a lot, and I liked it because it was interesting and it definitely wasn't bad i mean it wasn't flawed yeah it's not i had it for very long but there was nothing that you go ooh, ooh. oh it's you know oh the, the ergonomics are terrible but there's none but i like it kind of thing it wasn't that bad but you get used to it it was great and the, the dashboard was lovely it was a, that digital setup that psa is using now and i liked it i liked it an awful lot i think it was I'm going to use the word interesting again. It was one of the most interesting cars of the day, just because I I had a sense of what it would be like, and I just wanted to confirm that. And I I think I would have been quite upset if I didn't like it, to be (laughs) honest. But that says so much more about me than it does about the DS3 Crossback. Yes, probably. (laughs) We're going way long on this. We said we're going to stick to five minutes per car. We're failing miserably. But I hope it's still worth it. It's interesting that you tried something that could be considered a bit left field. Hmm. Oh, it's very left field. I like that you've done that. It's a little bit left bank as well, yeah. (laughs) Reeve Gauche and all that. I, at the same time, was trying the new Volvo S60. And I tried the Volvo S60 T5 R Design Edition. I'm slightly jealous of you with this one, to be honest. And that was available on the road as an automatic at 37,920. But the one I tried, including the options, was 39,145. Oh, that's not bad. No. I was expecting a number beginning with a four. In there, you've got to throw in colour tax. You mm-hmm. have to pay for a spare wheel and jack. Yeah. Mm. And then there's a convenience pack, which is power folding rear seats, <laughs> a 230-volt, 150-watt. Sorry, sorry. Whoa, 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 dial back a bit. Power folding rear seats in the saloon. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But you, what happens is it, this convenience pack has things involved, so you may not be paying for that. You may want the three-pin plug socket in the centre console mm. and the front tunnel net pocket, but the power-folding seats come with that pack. Yeah, okay. So that's how it works. Sorry, I'll stop interrupting there. So it's the T5 petrol, that's 250 horsepower, which is a WLTP combined fuel economy of 35.3 to 39.8 miles per gallon. I said it was automatic. It was a charcoal interior. It had fusion red for the metallic exterior, which actually looked really quite nice. Is that the slightly dark red or is that the bright red? Uh, slightly dark. Mm-hmm. Slightly dark. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> we do all the uh, descriptive words on this, th- <laughs> on this here podcast. <laughs> As we were saying before about Mazda and their design language, everyone agrees that the Volvo has got their design language pretty much nailed at the moment. Yes. Don't think there's a bad car out there, really? With their exteriors? No. I think everybody's pretty... It's, it's one of the few companies that even the designery people we like make positive noises. <laughs> That's just not, not just non-committal noises here, which is blue and good going, but positive noises. <laughs> yeah, positive noises. So I took this up the hill route as well. Again, I'm doing one lap of the hill route here. Yeah. It's limited the feedback I can get here. Just just to reiterate to you listeners, that it really is, we're talking five-minute maximum round this hill route because it's it's not very long but it had decent body roll control it gripped pretty well the engine was responsive but i would expect that from the t5 to be mm-hmm. fair at 250 horsepower but it was a it was a really lovely place to sit inside even with yeah. the largish screen in there 
Volvo's interiors are definitely one I would like to spend a long time with, particularly to try the screen and see whether my prejudices are borne out or are completely thrown out the window. Because it's easy to come to a conclusion without trying it. Believe me, because I have done that. (laughs) How many years are we doing this podcast and you've been doing that? I would like to try living with the car to see if that actually is a problem or whether Volvo have got the idea right that it being in the screen doesn't matter because you won't touch these things. Mm -hmm. And by that, I would expose it to my entire family which would give probably one of the meanest tests known to man. There's nothing else that will catch a virus, yes. yes. If it's lucky. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I was quietly impressed with that, but I I was expecting to be. Yeah. It didn't disappoint yeah. in any way, and, and it met what I was hoping expectation-wise. So I was, I was quite quite happy with that. The next one, we're on to car eight now, by the way, yes. people. Of 12, yes. So we are two-thirds of the way through. Well, no, we're more than two-thirds of the way through, really. Next up, you tried another hybrid estate car. Yeah, a family car. That's the way I was looking at it. Yeah. In the Porsche Panamera Turbo S e-hybrid sports turismo, coming in mm-hmm. at only £139,287. Yes. I did the maths on this. This is, And then we add the extras. That's the on-the-road price. And then we add the extras. So was it £19,000 worth of extras or something yes. on this one? So the total price of this brown vehicle was 158407 and it suited the brown incredibly well. <laughs> and it was great, yeah. It did, it, it looked brilliant. I drove this with a professional driver accompanying us because... Why, thank you. No. Oh, you mean the guy in the front seat was the professional driver? All oh, right, okay, yeah. The guy in the front seat who told me how to drive. <laughs> yeah, I know. How stupid did you feel? Because that's what always happens to me. Initially very, but once I ignored that and just did what he said and thought, oh, this is good, then I was fine with it all. Yes. <laughs> Thinking, oh, well, I mean, I did say to you at one point, didn't I, I was going around, I really must save up and buy one of these track days and say to somebody, please teach me to be better. Yeah, that's what happens. But so how was it anyway? Oh, well. Was it, how would, compared to your expectation? Again, this is such a car that I wouldn't expect to be driving that I didn't really have that much expectation apart from it would have all the power in the universe and I would never, ever use it up. There would always be more there if I needed it. Mm -hmm. And I suppose what I really wasn't expecting was how comfortable and luxurious it was. I was expecting more sporty rawness to it, which it could do if you put your foot down. But if you just were mm-hmm. driving along, it was supremely comfortable. Well, it, it's a hybrid. It's, it's, it's silent. Yeah, we started off in silence. and We went quite a length in silence until I put mm-hmm. the foot down. But the ride setup was really comfortable. Yet when we were going round, I mean, I don't know how it was for you in the back, but when we were going round the twisty bits and the driver was encouraging me to do the twisty bits properly, then yes. it still was really comfortable but obviously there was all the grip you could ever need type thing. But in the back, because I was sitting in the back, Porsche described it as a four plus one, which I think was a question that you asked mm. me afterwards. It was like, was there a centre seat? And it was like, I don't care. I was just... I don't know why I asked that at all. <laughs> it was like, who cares? Um, but it's it's a four plus one. So there was a sort of occasional one in the middle. But I, I had a big, comfy, bolstered armchair at the back. I was quite comfy. I wasn't rolling about or sliding. I wouldn't want to be perched in the middle. I just put the armrest down and I was quite comfy. I knew you wouldn't crash it anyway. And then I knew there was someone else there whose fault it would be if you did crash it. It was good in the back, no air vents and stuff because it was a 
absolutely scorching day. Yeah, I could have sat in the back for hours and hours without issue. I can easily see jumping in the car at your your place in Britain and just storming across Europe to get to somewhere mm-hmm. and getting out and, you know, it's oh, the cliche, feeling all refreshed and I wasn't tired at all. It was such a comfortable, you know, that the, the ergonomics and the ride had been thought out, which you would hope so. Well, yes, a little bit, yeah. But to have a very brief moment of feeling it executed. Mm. And again, just to reiterate, we are minutes round this course. We went round a couple of times. You did it twice. Driver. You did actually do it yeah, twice. Yeah, we had the driver with us who said go round again. Just gives you a little taster in doing this mm-hmm. of what it's like in there. And it's been a few years since I've driven a Porsche and I was really, really impressed with how well they've done a vehicle for transporting several people, not just the driver. It's not just that. It's a vehicle for transporting several people that, that can be a little bit of everything. Yeah. I would seriously like to try that for some time, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> like, like seven or eight years, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if they need a long-term test, yeah. But, I mean, just exactly how many times you can do the length and breadth of the country in a, in a week. <laughs> I gave it a damn good try. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I was very impressed with Behind the Wheel with how because mm. it, it didn't feel a big car either it was a big car it is a big car it's a ruddy massive car but it didn't feel that at all either which I, which is a hell of a trick to pull off but it had four-wheel steering as well didn't it yes it did as well if i remember yeah. rightly yes so again so the four-wheel steering acts and it essentially acts like a, a shortened wheelbase to make the vehicles that feel more agile it's a fantastic trick to play yeah really really impressed really is we continue the theme only you couldn't sit in the back seats because there weren't any. No, they wouldn't let me sit in the boot either for some reason. No, that's because you would have blocked my view. I took out the canary yellow. <laughs> One for the, all the wallflowers out there. Carrera 4S for all the wallflowers. The most amazing thing about the canary yellow, by the way, is that it wasn't an option. <laughs> it is actually a standard colour, which is just as well because just about everything else seems to have been because this is a car that had slightly more than the cost of my own daily driver in options. It was something like 20... I don't have the note, the exact number. I did the maths when I got back. Of £28,000 worth of options or something. And I don't care, because it was wonderful. <laughs> Again, a very much limited by a 55-mile-an-hour speed limit. And that sense that I was driving a car that was capable of so much more. I was just going, here we go again, around this hill route. Ugh. In a minute, he's going to take me on the high-speed ball, and we're going to go up to 100 miles an hour. There we go. And then we're going to do the brake test, where the driver's going to get more and more and more nervous because the professional beside him said, don't touch the brakes until I tell you, don't touch the brakes until I tell you, don't touch the brakes until I tell you, and now, and you press the brakes to come off the high-speed ball from about 70 miles an hour and face-planted the steering wheel. (laughs) Those, it's the first time really, you know, as you mentioned carbon ceramics and, uh, and stuff on, on the Stelvio earlier, but of course I was driving, I was on my own. I wasn't, you don't want to be that guy, so I wasn't taking risks. This had uh, £6,321 worth of Porsche ceramic composite brakes, and my goodness, were they impressive in a sort of... You want to stop? You will now stop. Yes. <laughs> we have now stopped. What would you like next? Yes. <laughs> just, just great. 
I, I don't want to go on about it too much other than to say that this is, other than the colour, this is actually the spec. If somebody said you can spec a 911, you have to keep it for the next 15 years, 20 years. At whatever spec you choose now, this is actually the spec I would have. I'm not a driving god, so I, I want the four-wheel drive in there because I want to be able to use it all year round if I'm investing that much money. I want the front axle lift system so I don't scuff it and speed bumps and stuff. I want that rear axle steering so that it feels even smaller and more nimble. I just want all of it, uh, and I want it just like this, but a bit less yellow. <laughs> it was very yellow. So... When you're when you're driving it, and I, again, I understand yeah. this is incredibly brief, but by now you've done a few laps of this route, and, and yes. you know, again, reminder to everybody: it's lower speed limits. We're not exploring any real dynamic no. limits here. But what's it feel like? Because I I never I didn't drive a nine eleven. So what's it feel like behind it? Is it very much uh, this? It's just. Oh god, that's going to sound so cheesy and cliche, but man and machine and all that nonsense. Yes, it does sound cheesy and cliche, Andrew. So this is the second 911 I've driven. Now I've only ever driven uh, 911 on the hill route at Millbrook. Okay, let's be completely clear. I drove. So this was a 992. I drove a 991. I think it was a 91.2, possibly a Carrera GTS, seven-speed manual. And rear-wheel drive. This one was the DSG and four-wheel drive. And on both occasions, what strikes me is the purity of the steering in it, the amount of feedback and the amount of information that's coming through the steering wheel. And I know that that sounds like road tester toss, and I'm really sorry. It's you know what's happening. And the other thing that struck me, and it might be because of the low speed, of course, was just how light it is, because, of course, you don't have lots of weight over that front axle the, the motors behind you i mean it's pretty much mid-engine these days but the, the motors behind you and that's when you you feel it you just feel like there is control there and when you think i want to be just over there and turn the wheel that much then you turn the wheel that much and you're there it's a bit like the oh god it's a bit like the mx5 in that respect because it was always telepathic. Mm -hmm. You thought, I want to be over there, and, do it. and it would just do it. But it, it did it, and the steering was actually probably slightly heavier than it is in the 911. And you just get that constant, and now I really sound cheesy and cliched, but you get that constant feedback and that conversation. It's kind of one-way conversation with what's happening on the road, and, and a commentary. That's really the word I'm looking for. That commentary of what's happening how much grip is it? What's it? Uh, actually, where are they doing 55 miles an hour? I can't pretend I was hooning through the gross glocker pass or anything in it. <laughs> but it gave you an inkling of what to expect and what you could expect if you were somewhere driving a bit more enthusiastically. Yes. Well, that's the idea. The hill route, by the way, is a succession of ever steeper hills, funnily enough. But built in there are a number of crests, blind crests, bumps, uh, lateral bumps across corners, all sorts of things. There's good road surface, there's bad road surface, there's intentional bumps, there are intentional potholes on it. Intentional changes of camber that go the opposite way that it should, all sorts of stuff. There's all sorts of nasty stuff in there. So whilst we're saying, yeah, it's only a different route, it is like a route of, of actually quite concentrated driving. Yeah. You know, it's not like once around the block type thing. As ever, you think, well, this would be brilliant. And if I were to have the money to buy a Porsche, then that's what I would be expecting from pretty much any model in the range, to be honest, but especially the 911, especially the uh, Cayman and the Boxster. Mm. 
Sorry, I've been I've been waffling. No, no, no. But I asked you because I I I've not experienced. I mean, because the, the obviously the Panamera is a, a bigger vehicle. It's a slightly different dynamic. It was it was interesting. It's to... a less different dynamic than you'd expect. Okay. Having driven the Panamera Turbo as well. I was interested to know, considering that you do drive smaller and sportier vehicles, what it felt like. I have had bigger and gt No, no, I understand that as well. But what you could really relate just to, reminding the, the, to the 911 mm-hmm. concept is what I mean. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I totally get the 911 concept. And of course, remember not long ago at the Great Escapes Day, then I drove the 40-year anniversary uh, 996. Yes. How is your saved Auto Trader search? It contains an awful lot of 996 <laughs> But again, you could feel the limit. You, they felt similar. You could feel the lineage. You could say, oh, okay, there is a derivation. There is a golden thread still there. It's not been diluted. It's not It's not been lost through electronic wizardry and trickery. And No, in fact, it's been retained through electronic wizardry and, oh, that's a hell of a and trick. trickery because the, the 992 is, is a much bigger car. Mm. I know it, it's, it's a, it looks, you know, the laziest design team in the world, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. where they're, they're basically just going Make it a little bit big, big, a bit bigger. But stuff like the four-wheel steering again, you're dynamically shortening the, the wheelbase so you get that nimbleness when you need it, but then you get the stability of the longer wheelbase whenever you don't need it. So on long journeys on motorways and stuff like that, so you don't have the twitchiness. And it was just this thread. And, and a lot of the thread is in the steering. And I think that's why I focused on that, and that's why I, I, I'm a bit of a nerd about that, is that feeling that you can drive this car with your fingertips. This is not a grab the sides and wrestle and rah. Then you know it, it's it's fingertips, guys. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, while you were driving that, I went off in a mini because they were over a string, <laughs> separating. <laughs> yes, you, you tripped over the, the gap between them. And uh, this was the mini sixty-year edition, so it's a mini one. This makes me feel very old. Can I just say that? Don't don't think about it. Just don't think about it. It's the way I okay. got around it. Because just don't think about it. I did a lot of my learning to drive in a Mini 30. Mm. Shh. Yeah. It's not mentioned. Not that old. Don't worry yes. about it. It was, it was a few years old when I drove it. Obviously, celebrating 60 years. <laughs> this was in British Racing Green, and it looked actually really nice. The, the sun really made that colour pop. And there was a medium chocolatey interior with green stitching, and I thought it looked fabulous. It was a mini Ewers leather lounge in dark cocoa, cacao, actually. Yeah, it looked great. Mm. On the road price was £24,370.83. Uh, ended up with, you, when you threw your vat on and all the rest of it, is 29245 which is... Uh, quite a lot of money, really. Sorry, that's not the on-the-road, because by the time you got the registration for the number plates, the, re- the on-the-road price is actually 30025 Oh, sorry, yes. But there were no options on this, by the way, so there's nothing, there's no joking stuff. No, everything is fitted. Everything comes as standards, lots of stuff that are normally options. Yeah, so it's £30,025 actually is the price. It's 192 horsepowers, 127 grams per kilometre, I had a hoot in this. Now, I've had a a Mini 1 Cooper diesel, one of the, mm-hmm. the first generation. One with a really good Toyota diesel engine. Which was great right up until it hit the red line. <laughs> and it just, there was nothing. 
<laughs> immediately it hit it. It didn't even creep over, just bang, stop. Yeah. But what I really loved about the, what they managed in the Mark One new minis is the directness of the steering and the fling about ability. And this one still had that. This it, it's a slightly bigger car, obviously, because you know time has moved on. But it was a hoot. Do you know the crazy part of this? Sorry. I was just thinking that Mini One, it'll have had 90 brake before, the diesel yeah. one before. This one has 180 watt, yes. did you just say? <laughs> That's amazing. The steering on this was just fabulous. It, you know what you were saying about the whole intuitive, I want to be over there, I've thought I want to be over there, and now I am over there. It was all yeah. that. It was just great. And I loved the gear change. It felt like you were changing gear. It was a snickety, snickety, snick. And, okay, a very close second to pressing a button on a steering wheel to start the engine is flicking a toggle switch. Yeah, toggle switch is a cool. That was, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. I know some of it can be seen as a bit contrived and all that, but I love the interior of a Mini, the way that these switches, toggle switches and stuff like that, it, it's different to anything else out there. And the huge central binnacle with the ridiculously huge now, because they've got the, all the screens in there. It's ridiculously useless, but yes. But it's, it's on the latest generation, because the last time we drove a Mini was a, a few years ago. It was not long after we'd started. Yeah, it? it's, it's now on the new setup, the latest mm-hmm. software and UX and UI and all that sort of stuff. So it's much better, much smoother. Everything's nicer but i was just smiling the entire time when i drove around in that red flags to the left of him red flags to the right of him no no because i didn't i didn't want to disappoint the lady at the top of the hill because she waved all day and i didn't want to disappoint her once so because I'd, I'd have felt very bad oh but we've gone into a theme towards the end of the day. It's kind of funny how once we split up, we didn't actually discuss what we were going to do. We, we ended up with this run of hot hatches. Mm. Well, not just hot hatches, because I went off. I ended up trying another French vehicle. It's not Japanese for me. French will do. And I went <laughs> off and tried the uh, Renault. What? <laughs> I was talking about my choice of restaurant. Yeah. And I went off and I tried the Renault Megane RS300 Trophy. Renault's latest hyperhatch. Front-wheel drive, 300 metric horses, four-wheel steer, multiple driving modes. Trick diff is what you want to know about. Uh, you want to know about the super comfy, huggy RS sports seats with built-in headrests. You want to know about the leather and Alcantara steering wheel. You want to know about all that kind of stuff. And it, it was great. Really was that sort of classic fast McGann. A little bit big, a little bit sensible, but really can nail it. Did you think it wanted to cock a corner at any moment if you were pushing it hard enough? Not that you did. Only if I was silly enough to lift off. Yeah. And yeah, I could have pushed. This was another car. You know, this was another yellow car because uh, this one was liquid yellow. So were you? was it harder to stay under the limit than go over? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. So this one was liquid yellow, so that kind of classic Renault Sport yellow. And the red brake calipers and the alloy wheels were kind of diamond cut, silver kind of five-petal type setups. But up the middle of each of these petals, which were otherwise hollow, there was a red stripe. Why was there a red stripe? I don't know. I think it was to be sporty. But to me, what it reminded me of was the, the sort of big nasty wasps you get in France 
which are yellow and black, and they've got little red types, and they're called frelons. And they're one of those things where you, you, you can buy cans of defrelloying stuff, and you don't want them near you. They're kind of hornets. But that's what it reminded me of, these kind of red accents on it, to say, well, I'm not just, you know, I ain't no bumblebee, mate. This is a car with a sting. And mm. again, it was great. And like the i30N, I mean, it's it's obviously got another 25, 25 break over the i30N and another like 7,000 pounds, I think. But like the i30N, it's got the, the synthetic snap, crackle and pop. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even more so in this. I mean, there's five different modes you can put it into. And, and I didn't try track because that would have been silly. <laughs> No, I didn't try race. I tried track, but I didn't try race because I'm not totally dumb. And that was kind of what the guy said. We had a bit of a discussion about it. And he said, well, it's probably not really worth it. And it was hot hatchy. It was bordering on race car-y. I don't know how much I would. Well, I could probably live with it every day because I'm an idiot. But I'm not <laughs> sure how much normal people could deal with it every day. It was French hot hatchness. It's a shame that it's five door. I'd much rather three door, but hey, that's what marketing and people just don't buy the cooking versions of, of, uh, of three door hatches these days. Does, right, on that point, does it make that much difference, three and five door? Or is it just yes. perceived difference? Yes. Yes, it makes a humongous difference. Why? Well, for a start, it's lighter because you don't have the extra weight of extra door mechanisms okay, and, so and all the windy like stuff, uh, the window yeah. stuff and, and that kind of thing. So this is maybe five or six, maybe 10 kilos per door. But more than that, if you've got five doors, it says, I'm expecting passengers in the rear of this. <laughs> okay. I'm expecting passengers in the back of this. So, you know, really, it's just a dressed up shopping cart. If you've got a three door, it's like, yeah, the seats, but you really don't want to use them. It's far too hard to get in and out. No, 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 you're just going to have to. I'm sorry. Not unless you're really desperate. Why not just buy a two-seater? Mostly down to corporate marketing departments, I would imagine. Thinking of reasons like one of my three-door hatchbacks has all its seats in, Andrew. The other one doesn't. And if it was a five-door, it would look dumb if you could open the back door and see the distinct lack of seats in the back. It's a matter of principle. But that involves having friends enough to open the back doors to offer them. <laughs> you solve that by not having any friends. It's fixed. It's yeah. solved. Well, I get around the problem by saying, well, I'd let you back. Really, they're a token gesture. And it's it's not as if the front passenger seat folds, which is, to be honest, true in my car. No, no, no. It's, it's just a letdown. Race cars don't have five doors. That's it. Anyway, if you want a Megane RS300 trophy, it's going to set you back £31,835. As tested, the one I drove was £36,085, £1,300 of which was for liquid yellow. Wow! Which looked great, but I was followed by a, a white one this morning down past Silverson. And to be honest, probably wouldn't have chosen the white. Because of the light signature on the front, I don't know that I would bother with the yellow. 800 quid's worth of Bose stereo. Yeah, I'd have that. Front sensors and a rear camera, 400 quid. There is a Vizio system of all the sort of good things, lane departure warning, traffic side recognition, automatic iron load, be 250 quid. I'd have that too. I would also have the Recaro Sports Pack with the fantastic Sport Recaro seats with Alcantara and red stitching because they were wonderful. So yeah, I, I, would, I would save myself a little bit on the paint on that. But is it a car that interests me? Darn right it does. <laughs> Lovely. 
I want to see more of that size of hatchback in silly Bex, please, with good trick diffs and all that kind of thing. So that means people go out and buy them. Please. Yes, well, that's the thing. You can't then sit there and go, oh, I'll wait till they're secondhand if nobody's bought them first. Yep. I do people like you, uh, not you, Andrew, you in general, a service by being the nutter that buys this stuff new. Right, last car of the day, because I slipped the car in while you were... You did, and I'm very jealous, actually, of which one you did slip in, because, again, it's an Allen car. So I tried the Mercedes-AMG A35 4Matic. Now, this is the new introduction to the AMG range. So it's mm-hmm. a 35. Now, it has 306 horsepower of a 2-litre uh, inline 4-cylinder engine. 4.7 seconds to 62, apparently. I didn't even think about trying that. We should have played top trumps. That's what we should have done. Uh, maybe we can do that another time. 38.7 combined MPGs. <laughs> That's a slap down, wasn't it? Well, it's only because it means I'd have to go back through and read everything else. Yeah, 5.7, you would have kicked, kicked the McGann's butt. Yeah. <laughs> Formatic obviously means it's automatic as well. It's got fluffy paddles and all that sort of stuff. Again, I took this on the hill route. Again, it was only briefly... But it's been a couple of years since I've been in a new Mercedes-Benz because we were at an SMT in York was the last time I was in one. Mm-hmm. And price, oh, I better give you the price here. On the road price, it's 35580 Price has tested 44255 <laughs> There are uh, mm. one or two options. So there's advanced navigation pack which is £1,300. The driver assistance package, which is £1,700. So that you really has want things that like stuff, yeah. uh, active blind spot assist, lane change assist, active braking assist uh, with cross traffic, active distance assist, active emergency, a lot of activity, active emergency <laughs> stop assist, active speed limit assist, and active steering assist, and pre-safe plus, which is a route-based speed adjustment. Well, it can do that, yeah. Yeah, there's uh, suspension stuff there. That's 700. Active damping. And then the AMG Premium Plus equipment line, which was 2,395, which is mirrors, a large media touchscreen, active parking assist, again, activity, heated front seats, 64-color ambient lighting, of which I tried none because I was there was no way I was in that car long enough. And if we get one of these on test then I have my children that can run through all 64 colours to work out what they are. Be like a ready disco in there. That that gives you a lot of stuff, that Premium Plus, though, doesn't it? Because you get your multi-beam LEDs, you get your Burmeister sound, which is always pretty good, keyless entry. Panoramic sunroof, which was, which was nice, actually. Because yeah. that could have been quite a dark interior because obviously it had the tinted rear windows and stuff, and the rear passenger windows were quite on trend with being quite tapering to small Mm -hmm. but it was actually you didn't feel claustrophobic in there at all Mm -hmm. i have to say because there was some nice touches of aluminium in there one of the particular ones that really stood out was the grab handle on the doors right it was sort of like this in a nice loop out that was aluminium trimmed Mm -hmm. but instead of it being sort of molded into the door card and it was such an odd thing that it really stood out to me it it looked lovely it looked gorgeous and I've not done it justice in my descriptions. With I, I now need to find a picture because it sounds distinctly strange, but okay, it was different. <laughs> the interior was, what would you expect from a Mercedes? It was really very nice. So let's cut to the chase with what's cool about the interior of an, of an A-Class. 
Did this have the great big screen, Andrew? Yes. How did you get on? I did not have enough time to play with all the combinations and changes and stuff that I could do. I love the way that you're you're doing Minority Report-style hand gestures there. (laughs) Yes, because that's how it feels. The augmented reality navigation, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I would love to try that, actually. It looks fantastic as a user. To customise it to what you particularly want... Well, obviously, enhance that even may more, take but, some time. You know, yeah. I I didn't have time to play with to go through the menus mm-hmm. and sub menus and all that sort of stuff to to tweak things. But as a piece of design, it does look gorgeous. As you're sat there, that's pretty high praise. It from me, yes, on an interior, crikey, yes, yeah, <laughs> interior with the screen. I know, I know. Right, so I, I took it for a, a quick drive around there. I was going to say spin, but that's the wrong. We can't say spin. No, no, don't say impression. spin. Don't say spin. You won't get invited back if you spit. Yes. Because it's AMG and 300 plus horsepowers, you're expecting it to be a bit sporty. And it does go quite well. Mm. It really does. I would say the noise from the exhaust is more rather naughty than raucous. Okay. But so it's, it, not the, it's, it's not the McGann then? It's not a full snarling thing. Although when you put your foot down, it does get considerably louder. But I think mm-hmm. it, it's more if you were just pottering through somewhere, you're not okay. going to set off any possible sound meters that the government may or may not be considering using in the future. Oh, whereas you would with many of the cars that I drove, yes. Without pressing modes and things like that, you can drive it normally, and then you put mm-hmm. your foot down and you were reminded what you've actually got. Yes. And I liked that element a lot. Okay. It was a very nice car. I would be really interested to hear your thoughts with it for some time. Right. Because okay. I think it could be an Allen car. Yes, I rather... Well, it's just a BC segment, fast, silly car. I do have a type when it comes to cars, definitely. No, 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 I'm not saying I'm stereotyping you at all here. Yeah, I know, but is it slightly ridiculous and can it make poppy noises? Yes. Well, then that goes to the juvenile one. Yeah. It's just absolutely how it goes. But I, I think one of the great things about the day and the event that's there is that it does give you a chance to have a taster of all these different cars because you know those of us who don't have hot and cold running press cars, it is great that we can do so much in such a short time. I mean, we were there at what just after 8 o'clock and we sort of hobbled listlessly away at half past four or something. Because it was good to, to try cars that we possibly wouldn't normally have experienced yes or pushed to experience because we got the opportunity to try for 5 10 15 minutes yeah and for some of them that's enough yeah but there was some there that made me think actually there is a story there mm-hmm. and if, if we thought about it in a different way there, there are not just the way we have been explaining a car and the story behind the car and when we've had it what it actually entails there are other cars out there that we could and should be doing that with as well. Mm-hmm. And this gives us the opportunity to experience some of them or close to them, and then means we can have chats offline and allow the the listener to benefit from that because we're bringing in new vehicles, new brands are agreeing to work with us and that sort of thing. Yes, exactly. It's all about you, listener. It's not about our enjoyment at all. Although there is a little bit of Ish. that. It's quite a lot in that. Yes. We don't want to be miserable either. Let's just be clear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Speaking of miserable, nobody will be listening to us anymore because this has gone on quite long tonight. 
Hopefully that's been interesting. I mean, there's a lot of, of stuff jammed into one podcast. I say, I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it interesting. And uh, if there's something in there that you're interested to hear more about, then perhaps get in touch and let us know. Because if we can say, we've got listeners asking, then, uh, yes. then that's quite quite cool as well and it'll also help us as as well because we do sit down and have it's going to sound very grand editorial meetings about the sort of we have a beer (laughs) yes the sort of stuff we're going to approach manufacturers to try but if there's particular Mm. ones that people out there would like us to try and would like to hear our opinion and the way that we we review a car then please tell us because if we can help you or if we can give you something definite that you want to listen to then we're up for trying that and there's some manufacturers we'd like to work with who weren't necessarily there on the day, by the way. Yeah. So if you're wondering where's the X, then the chances are it probably wasn't there. If you think it's a particularly motoring podcast car and the kind of car that we would normally talk about and we haven't mentioned it, then either it wasn't there or the manufacturer wasn't there because not everyone. So mm-hmm. anyhow, should we finish off? Quick thanks, of course, to the Society of Motor Manufacturing Traders for arranging the day and inviting us along and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Thanks also to... All of the manufacturers, I'm not going to mention them all by name, we've sent them all emails individually anyway. But thank you to all of them who turned up and brought their cars. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, th- yeah, because even if we didn't get a chance to get to you, we're incredibly appreciative of the fact that you were there and we nearly had the opportunity to come and see you. Yes. <laughs> if only we'd had another three hours. Yes, or possibly another day. <laughs> and the energy to approach you by that point. Yeah. Special thanks, by the way, to BMW. Oh, that's the one car I haven't talked about. BMW X7. Didn't get a chance to drive it, but I did get a a guided tour of it, which is very, very fitting in terms of of the BMW X7 because it is rather more like a stately home than a vehicle. (laughs) Definitely scale-wise at the front. But it's also a vehicle that's very, very easy to extract the urine out of, as you've just noticed. But I had a, a good poke at one and and, and got a a guided tour of one just as they're about to close driving and it's really quite exquisite i've just got to say it really is it's no big surprise to find out that it and the coolen share the same platform at all and obviously share quite a lot of the same technology but i just want to say how nicely done the whole thing seemed to be right from the sort of electrically folding seats so you can get into the third row and the electric split fold tailgate which you press one button and the bottom bit went up the top bit came down i was really impressed as i say it's a car very easy to make fun of very easy to say well why would you have that the uk is never going to be its primary market its primary market as of course uh, china and the far east and of, of course the usa and california in particular and it's super apt for those and when you look at it you think well actually you know it's smaller than a chevy suburban it's smaller than a cadillac escalade it's smaller than any of these things it's actually far more sensible car than any of them i, I just couldn't get over the fact just the way it was it was not even pretending to be something that you'd slam some logs into in the woods <laughs> or, or anything like that it was very much a three-row luxury i almost said people carrier and i don't mean people carrier personal conveyance device <laughs> you know a, a three-row suv and Actually, when you looked at it and you looked at the way it's been done, there's very little space has been wasted in there. It's all about luxury. It's all about comfort. And I was more impressed than I expected to be. I would have liked to have driven it just to feel the dynamics. Mm -hmm. But it was very busy all day, actually. 
BMW also had an awesome pick and mix. They did have a quite a wide mix of vehicles. Some of them looked very awesome. <laughs> I was talking about the suites. Oh, okay. Oh, I was talking about the cars. I know you were. You're well. anyway, I've just extended what I was about to finish off uh, there because I did want to talk about the, the X7 even, even very quickly like that. So my apologies for not including that earlier. I will now finally round off, unless there's anything else that you've forgot, you've realised you've forgotten. No, I think nope. I'm okay. <laughs> no, what, what his bed looks like, really. So anyway, folks, don't forget that between now and the next time, you can give us any feedback. Share your thoughts for the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and on Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Please don't forget to leave a review and ratings on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. It really does matter. Andrew, if people would like to know more, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you will find me there. And Alan, if people want to get in touch with you directly and say how wonderfully close to the MX-5 was the 911's driving ability, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, you can do that on Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley, B-I-A-D-L-E-Y. We'll be back before very long, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.